Well, is anyone excited to be at church today? I mean, holy smokes, I am so uh, just grateful to be here and to see you all. Uh, for those of you that maybe not know or maybe you're new around here, uh, uh, I'm one of the pastors around here and uh, I got a chance to go on a 30-day break. And I uh, just wanted to stop before I move forward with the talk today and just say thank you to, uh, I'm just thankful. I was so grateful to do it. I know not everyone gets to do that. But I'm thankful to have an elder team that cares about my health. A lot of times I have friends that have had to take breaks because they're having problems or something. I got to go healthy and come back healthier, uh, be preventative. And uh, God was just so uh, caring and shepherding to me and to my family. And uh, so just thank you. Thank you for the staff for doing such a great job while I was gone. And so thankful for Pastor Maya and just all that he does. Um, just super grateful. So I just... Great to be back, and uh, I told the uh, the first service that they should be thankful that they came to the first service because, you know, I haven't preached in five weeks. Um, we knew you were coming to the second service, but, hey, we got all day now. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. Now. I do have a timer, so don't worry about that, but uh, just couldn't be more excited to get to open up God's Word together with you all, and uh, it's great, great, great to see you. Uh, just want to start off with this thought as we kick in of, like, what are we going to be going towards today? You know the feeling when you get duped? You know what I mean? Like, so Tim's laughing. Yeah. Like where, where it's almost like a false advertisement in a sense where you think it's, you know, something's going to be greater than what it actually is. Or there's this expectation that you have and then you see it and you're like, that's not what I thought it was going to be like. You know, this happens in many different ways. Like, for instance, like maybe there's like the false advertisements of you're wanting to go on vacation. Okay, and you want to go to that perfect tropical place to just see the crystal clear blue water. And then you get there and then you're like. Bam. <laughs> Not that that didn't happen to me in the last 30 days. You know, just okay. It was still beautiful. It was still beautiful. But the seaweed and the smell of the seaweed, you're like, this is not what I signed up for. But, um, or, or maybe you're, it's late at night and you're getting kind of hungry and you see those commercials, you know, the food. And it's like, it's just perfect. It's like, wow, McDonald's really makes that big of awesome hamburgers. And then, then you get there and you're like, that's definitely not false advertisement, right? Now, if you work for any of these companies, I'm sorry, but, you know, truth is truth, okay, right? It, it, you know, false advertisement. Or um, what about this one, you know, when you buy something online, okay? Just so you know, Christmas is coming 18 weeks away. Got your shopping done, okay? If you do, we don't want to talk to you anymore, okay? Like, you're crazy. Um, but then, you know, you're like, man, yes, this is a Christmas tree. It's going to be great. It's going to be beautiful. Get a good price. Then you open up and put it together, and you're like, what the heck is going on? You're like, are you kidding me? Like, this is not looking, you know. Or, you know, I, I love the advertisements of, for those of you that have young, young kids. Um, you know, you go to, you know, you just, man, this is going to be awesome. If you, you know, you don't have a pool, but it's hot and it's summertime. Man, this will be great for the kids. I mean, look at those kids. They're smiling. They're excited. They're jumping. You're, so your kids, they get their suits on. They're ready to go. You're setting it up. And then all of a sudden... Wow, I mean, like, that was not what we expected, Mom and Dad. I'm like, yeah, tell me about it. That cost a little too much money as well. When thing, none of us like to get sold, like, right? None of us want to get sold. And, and it's like we have these expectations of, of, of what things should be. And then when the experiences don't match up, it just leaves us feeling like we're scratching our heads. And, and let's be real, right? This happens in everything in our life. It's not just with food. It's not just with gadgets. It's not just with vacations. It's with everything that we experience in life, especially with relationships, too. 
Like, you know, you've all experienced it, right? Where it's like you have this expectation or a perspective of what a relationship should be. But then when the expectation doesn't match the reality of the experience, you're left feeling frustrated, you're left feeling defeated, and then you start believing all these negativity and these lies, and it's like, wait a second, this isn't what I signed up for. I see this all the time with uh, new married couples. You know, I do their counseling, and then they go on their honeymoon, and they're like, we are just so in love, and everything's just going to be amazing, and then the honeymoon starts to crash, and you're like, who are you, you know, and the this is not what I thought I signed up for. And then we have kind of like a recap meeting. It was like, okay, so what were you saying again about this stuff? And they pay a little more attention to, to prepare them for their, for, for their marriage. But then it got me thinking this morning, is that not only with other relationships, but this happens with the most important relationship that all of us have the opportunity to have in life. And that's with the relationship that we all have the opportunity to have with Jesus. But sometimes depending on the version that was told to you, you might feel like, if you're honest, that you've been sold. Because the idea of following Jesus hasn't really turned out the way that you thought it would. The, 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 the expectation of what you thought it was going to be is not matching what you are experiencing. And it's leaving you feeling pretty lost. And it's leaving you feeling pretty frustrated. And, you know, I don't, you know, for some of you, you've started following Jesus in the last month or... The last year, or maybe you were baptized, or maybe in the last 10 years, I don't know. But I truly believe, this is my, my opinion, I believe that every person that decides to follow after Jesus at some point begins to have a moment like this where you're questioning a little bit of like, wait a second, I thought it was going to be different. And you start to question and you start to wonder and, and you're just like, I don't know. if, And you start to feel a little lost. And if that's you, you're not alone. You're not alone. So many have felt that and have faced that, but I've got really good news for you today. Jesus is not a false advertisement. Jesus is not a false advertisement. The problem is, is us. Because sometimes our flesh and the things of the world are getting in the way for us, for us to experience the greatness that he has for us and intends for us. And so today we're going we're gonna to look at... Um, when Jesus calls his first disciples. And just as Jesus called them, he's calling us. And the ups and downs that they had in their relationship with him are the same types of ups and downs that you and I will have or have had or will continue to have in our relationship with Jesus. But as we go through this, my hope is that all of us will tap in to see, wow, wait a second, he's not done with me. And his greatness, I haven't even touched the surface of it yet. And so that's our hope. That's our, our, our goal. But before we do, I just want to pray for us, and then we'll dive in. So God, thank you for getting us here today. Thank you for being such a caring God. Thank you that we can be called your children. And thank you for what you did for us so that we can call you Father. Um, God, there are so many different things going on in people's lives right now. And I just, I thank you for being the God who's sovereign and powerful and has it all figured out and that we can lean into. And, but also I thank you that you're a God that's personal and cares for all the emotions that we face. And so God, I just ask that you would meet people today for just, just this, that we would clear the noise and that we would hear from you. 
We don't want to just read. We want to hear from you today. And so get me out of the way as always. Thank you for the privilege it is to teach your word. And I pray this in the power of your son's name, Jesus. And everyone said, come on, amen. All right, so let's open up our Bibles. If you got your John journal, we've been going through the book of John. We're only in chapter one and we're going all the way through. So there's still time to get one of these John journals. It's so important to write things down. But in fact, if you have a Bible, if you have a journal, I just want you to raise it up in the air. And I want all of us in the room to just repeat after me, this is not just a book. This is the word of God. It's alive and it's living. Thank you. So turn it to John chapter 1. That is the, um, one of the four historical biographies of the life of Jesus. Um, this is um, when we think about perspective in the series that we called it. We're getting John's perspective. And for all of you in the room that potentially are skeptics of all of this, and seriously, I'm so glad you're here exploring and moving towards God because uh, where else are you going to get your questions answered? Um, Here's one little fun thing to just remember, is that this isn't just anyone writing this. This is John, one of Jesus' closest friends. But it's not only that, it's family. Uh, Scholars go back and forth, but many are in agreement that not only was John the Baptist a cousin, but also the Apostle John was a cousin of Jesus. So if you could for a moment in your mind, I want you to think of one of your cousins. Specifically, maybe one of your crazy cousins. Okay, And what would it take for them to convince you that they were the Messiah of the world, the Savior of the world? What would it take? Right? I mean, just imagine them right now, and then you actually not only believing it, but then willing to die for it or turn it around. What would it take for them to believe you were the Savior of the world or the Messiah? And they would actually then write it down and then die for it. And so, man, just another reminder of the evidence that this isn't just fairy tale. This is real, real stuff, okay? So John chapter 1, starting in verse 35, okay? You guys ready? All right, let's read it. It says, the next day again, so this was after, uh, we talked about this last week, John the Baptist. So here we have John the Baptist. Again, John the Baptist was standing with two of his disciples, And he looked at Jesus as he walked by. So Jesus is starting to walk by. And John the Baptist says, behold, the Lamb of God. And it says that the two disciples heard him say this. And it says that they fouled Jesus. It made me stop and think, wow. It's like they were just like, there's Jesus. Later, John, we're going with Jesus, you know. Which is another really great reminder of Jesus' follower in the room. When we help people move towards God, remember, it's not about them following us. It's about them following Jesus. Then it says this, Jesus turned and he saw them following and he said to them, would you say this out loud with me? What are you seeking? One more time. Very good. Making sure you're awake. Now check this out. What are you seeking? Now this is important, right? So think about this is the first recorded words that John, God through John decided to write. This is like a red letter. This is the first red letter in the book of John, the recorded. And notice it's a question. What are you seeking? Jesus asked this question, what are you seeking? And and it's a question and it's a great reminder that Jesus was great at asking questions. And now it's important for us to learn the art of asking good questions. It really helps people. Now, when Jesus asked, notice he didn't say, who are you seeking? He said, what are you seeking? Now, 
Do you think Jesus didn't know what they were seeking? Of course he knew what they were seeking, right? He, he knew what they were seeking. He, he knew what they were seeking. But why he asked the question, even though he knew what they were seeking, was to get them to self-reflect. It was to get them to self-evaluate. And the same way that Jesus asked, what are you seeking to his disciples, is the same question he asks to you and me. What are you seeking? And I want us to sit there for a moment. Like, what are you seeking? Why are you here? I mean, it's a beautiful day today. And summer is leading us. You could be on the golf course. You could be mowing your yard. You could be hanging out at the pool. You could be going for a country drive. I don't know. But you're here. You got up. You got dressed. I think everyone's wearing clothes. Okay, that's good. Um, if you have kids, you got your kids here. And we all know, especially if you've got little ones right now, I mean, holy smokes, right? It's like tornadoes sometimes. You got them here. Why are you here? What's your motive for being here? And, you know, maybe for some of you, it's your, your motive is you're single and you're looking to mingle, right? Maybe that's okay, right? Maybe you're here for approval, you know, to make your spouse happy or to make your parents happy. Um, maybe you're here to check the box. Maybe you're here for recognition to others and to God. Like, okay, I'm checking in. Okay, I'm, 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 am I good? Maybe you're here because you're hurting. Maybe you're here because you do feel lost and you're looking for answers. You're looking for truth. Maybe you're here because you want his blessing. Maybe you're here because you want his comfort. You want his peace. I don't know. But the question is that I want us to just sit in is what are you seeking? And then here's another way of putting it. Is your motive for the great or the greater? If you're taking notes, write that down. Is your motive for being in God's presence for the great or for the greater? And what I mean by that, for the great, meaning the things that he can do or has done for you, for the things that he provides? Or are you here just for the greater of who he is? I was thinking about this question last month of, do, like, let this thought ponder, okay? This will mess with you. Do I love God more than I love heaven? The idea of going to heaven. Do you love God more than the idea of just getting his blessings? You know, letting that just kind of like sink in and be like, okay, what is my motive of why I want to be in your presence? But what we see over and over again, if you really want to see something greater, we have to make sure of this truth that our motive can't just be for the great things of what he can do, but our motive needs to be for the greater of just who he is our Father who leads us to greatness. It keeps going. It says, and then they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher. And he says this, say it out loud with me. Where are you staying? In other words, he's saying, I want to get near you. I don't know where you're going, but we want to be around you. We want to be near you. And here's what Jesus said to them. It's brilliant. He says, come and you will see. Notice he didn't tell him right away. He just said, come on, come on the journey. I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you a new perspective, a perspective that is literally going to blow your mind. And so it says that they came and they saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. And the way that they told time, that had been around four o'clock in the afternoon. 
And so the sun was starting to set. People in that culture in those villages, right, they would figure out, okay, where are we laying our heads tonight? We've got to wrap things up. We've got to make sure we get shelter. And so this shows us that they were going to spend the night with Jesus and hear what Jesus had to say. And man, John doesn't record it, but man, I wish I could be a fly on the wall to know what they talked about in those first meetings. Like how cool is it to think about what they actually did? But what does it remind us? It shows us that they wanted to be close to Jesus. They wanted to be where he was to see something greater. Which makes us ask the question of do we want to be where he is? Do we want to be where he is? This other thing that it reminds us of is that they were willing to listen. And, and we'll, we'll know that they were listening uh, in, a, in the next couple verses. But I just wanted to bring this point when we, we ask the question, where are you staying? But then I want to also ask this other question. Are we listening to God just for his information or for his invitation? What do I mean by that? Are we listening just for his information, his intellect? Okay, okay, give me what I need to get and move on. Or are we carving out the time to listen for his invitation? Um, There's a great book that I read last month by Eugene Peterson called The Working Angles. And he talks about this idea of how we've lost the art of listening to God's word. He's basically in a roundabout way just trying to aware us and get me to be alert of, hey, Travis, shut up and listen. Maybe I'm the only one who has a problem with that. Um, but it was a real challenge to say, hey, we need to read God's word, not with our eyes, but with our ears. And that's just been chewing in my mind all month. I want to read your word, not just with my eyes, but with my ears. I want to listen because he has a constant invitation in his word over and over again that is prompting us and leading us away. You want to see greatness? You have to listen. You can't just read. And we've become a culture. I love how he said this. We've become a culture of gluttonous readers because we have so much information that we read, 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 read. And then the Bible can become a newspaper to us. We have to... Keep learning the art of not just reading, but listening to God's word. Are you listening to God's word? Are you showing up and are you staying in his presence and meditating? How's your time with Jesus? Listen, if you feel off, if you're a Jesus follower, if you feel off, I know it's simple, but most of the time when we feel off is because we're not taking the time to slow down and actually listen to him. He is alive and living and he wants to speak to you. And I know sometimes it's hard to listen, but we have to keep forcing ourselves to be in his presence and listen and be all ears. If you're in a funk, ask yourself that question. Are you just listening for information? Are you just reading? Or are you listening to his invitation? So let's keep going. It says that um, we know that they were listening because after they hear what he said, they got pretty jacked up. Listen to what it says. It says, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So Andrew's brother was Peter. And so when he first found, so after he heard this, he was listening. It says, he first found his own brother Simon and said to them, say this with me, we have found the Messiah. One more time. We have found the Messiah, which means the Christ, the anointed one, the high priest, the king. We have found him. I mean, he heard it and was seeing an unbelievable. It's like, you've got to be kidding me. We found him. And the first thing he did when he realized that the Messiah, the one who could save 
him from himself, to see true greatness was in his presence, the first thing he did is, I got to go tell the people I love the most. And I think it was just another great reminder, and we've been reminding us of that all year. What are we sharing? Like when we're with the people that we love the most, are we just talking about the news? Are we just talking about the weather? Are we just talking politics? Are we just talking about the next new thing? Or are we strategically figuring out ways to make sure that we can bring up how Jesus is the Messiah? What does that look like for us? What are we sharing? Here's, here, here's a question that's kind of sobering for me. I've been chewing on this thought too. If you're taking notes, write this down. Are you content with going to heaven alone? You know, it's like we keep living in the world and we know the truth. Or, you know, I'm talking to Jesus followers in the room like, okay, have I become content with going to heaven without them? that shakes me. Now, for some of you, you have had the courage and God's given you the opportunity to share with the people that you love the most, but they won't listen. And I get for some of you, you haven't yet and and you're nervous and you're scared and there's many different reasons. I hope this is an encouragement to push yourself to make sure that you share. But for others of you in the room, you're like, well, Travis, I have, but they won't listen. It's a lost cause, it feels like. And I think this is just a reminder to make sure that we're not content in our prayers to stop praying that God would reach them. We've got to keep begging out to God to reach them. And I know it takes longer sometimes than we want. But don't give up. Keep asking God for opportunities to bring himself up. Continues. So it says that he went and got Peter. And then it says that he brought him to Jesus. And then Jesus looked at him and said this. You are Simon, the son of John. And then notice this. He says, you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now you just got to stop here for a moment and be like, you ever think about, what's up with the name change? You just met the guy. I mean, imagine you like coming up to someone and being like, you know, hey, John. You're now Bill. You're like, what the heck? Now, we all get different nicknames sometimes, right? Some of them we don't mind. Some of them are like, if you call me that one more time, I'm going to punch you in the face, right? You know, you've got those bad nicknames. But Jesus did this often, and he did this with a purpose. You see, when he looked at Simon and he called him Peter, he was looking and forecasting his future of how he was going to mold him. And it wasn't going to be overnight. It was going to be a process. And what's really interesting about the scriptures is that we see all throughout the gospels different times where Jesus calls Peter either Simon or Simon Peter or Peter. But oftentimes when he called him Simon, he called him Simon when Simon was kind of acting in his flesh. One example, Garden of Gethsemane, right before Jesus is going to be crucified. Pretty horrific, painful moment coming. He's feeling it coming. He knows it's coming. And he tells his three, his closest three disciples, I want you to pray. And then he goes and prays. And then he comes back and he sees them and they fell asleep. And what does he say? Simon, 
Couldn't you just stay awake for an hour? And we don't know for sure, but I, 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 I got to imagine that there were just moments in Peter's life where when he heard the name Simon come out of Jesus' mouth, it made him cringe. I got to imagine that like he just longed for Jesus to keep calling him by his new name. Why does this matter to you? If you didn't know, if you're a Jesus follower today, did you know you have a new name? When you put your faith in Jesus, God gave you a new name. I want to just share with you from 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says this, If anyone is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. So he maybe hasn't given you a literal new nickname, but I just want to let you know that you are a new creation. Your nickname is new. You are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And just like he forecasted how he was going to make Peter great and shape him and mold him into the greatness that he sees, it's the same way that he looks at you and me. But sometimes I know, because I'm right there with you, you don't feel that way. You, you feel like, again, like maybe I've been duped by this because I thought when I would follow Jesus, this thing was going to stop in my life and it's still there. I still struggle with this. I still struggle with this. I thought I was going to be a better woman. I thought I was going to be a better man. I thought I was going to be a better father. I thought I was going to be a better dad. I thought, I thought, I thought, I thought. And it's just like, ah! And so you feel like you're stalled out. The question of where are you stalling? But what happens, and it's funny because I didn't realize I've done this in my life so much without even, I never really said it out loud, but I think God has shown me recently how, you know, when you put your faith in Jesus, there's this word called you get justified. Like he justifies you. He's the only one who has the power to justify us. And then there's this other theological word called sanctified. Then he sanctifies you, which is this idea of to set apart, to be more like him, to be more holy. And what I've realized over time in my life is that, yes, I know that God has justified me. But then what's happened over time is I have tried to sanctify myself. And I've put sanctification into my own hands. And I feel like I'm in charge of molding me because I have to do it. I have to be greater. And that's where I get it all wrong. And then I won't measure up. And I try to fulfill the law. And bam, I lose every time just like you lose every time when you try to fulfill the law. And so God reminded me, and I want to remind you, if you feel like you're stalling in an area, here's a question you got to ask yourself. Are you depending on you or him to make you greater? Sometimes we just depend on ourselves to become greater. But you'll lose every time if you depend on your strength to make you greater. God reminded me, and I want to remind you, if you are a Jesus follower today, you have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer Travis who lives. It is no longer Jason who lives. It is no longer Tim who lives. It is no longer Keith who lives. It is no longer Larry who lives. It is no longer Travis who lives, but it is Christ who lives in me, in you. That has to be our starting point every day. I'm a new creation. The old Travis is gone. I am born again. I am new. 
And when you depend on that thought, then he'll keep shaping you and molding you into the greatness that he has for you. He's not done with you. He's not done with you. So then he goes and gets some other disciples. The next day, Jesus decides to go to this area called Galilee. Notice the Lil and the L-I-L. I always love that. He found Philip and he said to him, Philip, I want you to follow me. And now Philip was from Bethsaida. That was a little fishing village, the city of Andrew and Peter as well. And so Philip found Nathanael and said to him, you're not going to believe this. Listen, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the the prophets wrote about, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So another example of sharing, passing one torch of light to another. And so here's what Nathanael says to him. He says, wait a second. Nazareth? I mean, can anything good come from Nazareth? And there's so much here. But what he's basically was trying to say is, you know, Jews in that area, they looked at Galilee and all the villages in Galilee almost like, um, in our context, would be like unsophisticated hicks or something. These people, they have no idea. Nazareth? Even though Nathaniel was from that area too, it's funny him even saying that. And then the son of Joseph? Come on, you're not buying into that virgin conspiracy theory, are you? That virgin birth conspiracy theory? I've heard about that, but come on, you really think that that is the guy that really is the Messiah? And then, so he's questioning Philip. And then what does Philip do? I love this. He's already learning from Jesus. What does he say? Come and see. Just come and see. See this new perspective. See it for yourself. And so Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him. And notice what Jesus does. This is awesome. He says, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael's like, what the heck? He's like, how do you know me? And then listen to this. Come on. Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, remember, you know that fig tree you like? I saw you. Mic drop. Imagine someone just coming up to you, a man who claims to be God and told you about a secret place that no one knows but you. I don't know what was going on in that fig tree. My guess, my hope, I wonder, my thought is that was where he would go to try to hear from God and he would flesh out all of his frustration and his doubts and his angers. And he's like, I don't know about this. Where are you? I, I, I'm just, I'm trying to do this God thing, but it's just not working. And I, I, I don't know. I don't know. And he was having, he was pouring out his secrets at the secret fig tree that no one knew about but him. And then Jesus says, I saw you. And it reminds me of a couple thoughts. Where's your fig tree? Yes, we can have on-the-go prayers, and it's great. But, man, to have that fig tree where we know where we go to to pour out and try to meet with God and listen like we talked about is so important. Where's your place? Where's your fig tree? But the other thing it reminded me of is this truth. God knows all of your secrets. He knows all of your hidden emotions. And you might be thinking, that might scare you, some of you, right? Like, wait, what? He knows. He even knows about that thing that no one knows about but me. He knows. Yeah, he knows everything. But instead of that scaring you, I hope you'll shift your mind and not let that scare you, but let that 
turn into praise to be like, oh my goodness, there's a God out there that actually cares about the details and the secrets of my life like that? He cares about the every emotion and every detail of my life to the detail? Wow, wow, wow. Then Nathaniel answered him. Notice his response. He says, Rabbi, teacher, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And then Jesus answered me, he says, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, you believe? Just because of that? <laughs> I imagine maybe a little laugh after that question mark. And then he says, you will see greater things than these. You will see greater things than these, Nathaniel. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. In other words, you thought that was cool? Well, stay with me. Lean in with me. Keep moving towards me. And in the same way, my friends, for us, don't give up. Keep leaning towards him. Keep moving towards him. Because he wants to keep showing you greater and greater things. But then notice how he says this, and this is where we'll close. He says, then I saw the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So what does that mean? And I just can't leave here today. I must take you to what Jesus was referring to in Genesis chapter 28. It's just another beautiful picture of how it's all together in the his, historical and accuracy of God's word. Listen to this. Jesus was referencing when God showed up to Jacob that we read about in Genesis when he had a dream and God showed up to him in his dream. Look at this. So Jacob, and he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father and the God of Isaac the land of which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. And I got to imagine when that thought came together to the disciples, maybe in that moment for him or maybe down the road, you got to be kidding me. I am literally staring at God in the flesh, the God of Isaac, the God of Abraham is literally right in front of me. But then let's fast forward. Then they watch Jesus do miracle after miracle after miracle. And then they saw the ultimate miracle of Jesus rising from the dead. And then they saw him ascend into heaven. But before that, I wonder, when they saw Jesus hanging on a cross, you know, one of those crosses, they have these ladders up there put the people up and to put the people down. And I got to wonder if it all connected. Oh my goodness. Jesus is the ladder. He's the bridge where the angels will ascend to descend on the Son of God, now giving all of mankind a way for our souls to go from earth to heaven, the only way the only truth, the only life, the Son of Man, the Son of God, 
the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the latter. And what's so amazing is the same invitation that he made to his disciples to grab onto him, the latter, is the same invitation that he makes for you and me to grab onto him, the latter. And so, listen, I don't know where you're at on your journey, but maybe you've been grabbing onto the wrong things in your life. Maybe you've been grabbing onto the world or relationships to, to find your peace, to find your hope. Listen, everything in the world that this world has to offer, every relationship in the world that this world has to offer will let you down. Will leave you high and dry, will always want, make you want more. But he won't. You grab onto him, he will bring you into greatness. He'll allow you to experience greatness here on this earth like you can't explain. He will give you, he will give you not only here on earth, but in eternity, he promises that greatness. And there's so much evidence of it that I could bore you with all those details. But I just want to remind you, I'm just a man. But I've experienced his greatness. It's so real. He is my peace. He is my comforter. He's my defender. He's my friend. And it's good. It's so good. And he offers it to you. And so if you've never grabbed onto Jesus, the ladder to save you, I want to give you that opportunity right now. And so I'm just going to ask us to just bow our heads and close our eyes. And maybe that's you today. You just say, you know what, Travis? I want that. I want what you have. I want the greatness of Jesus in my life. I've never had it. Or maybe I was sold the wrong version of Jesus. But the pieces are connecting. Listen, he made it so clear that to grab onto the ladder is not by anything you have to do except for your belief and surrender in him. You'll never be good enough. He says, come as you are. It's by a simple belief and trust that, you know what? I'm done with the world. I'm grabbing onto Jesus. I know I'm a mess. He's the only one who can save me. And he proved it by dying and rising again. So I grab onto Jesus. If that's you and you want that today for your life, you want to experience that greatness of Jesus in your life, I'm not going to embarrass you, I promise, but I'm going to ask you to be bold and say, yes, that's what I want. So I'm going to count to three, and if that's you, I just want you to raise your hand and say, yes, I want to grab onto the ladder today. I want to grab onto Jesus. I'm going to count to three. You boldly lift your hand. One, two, three. I want to grab onto Jesus. Amen. Amen. I see you in the back. Who else? You're not alone. I see you over there, sir. Amen. Okay. For those of you that boldly put your hand up, I saw it, but even more, God sees your heart. And that's the most important part. And so I want to lead you, not through a prayer of words of Travis, but a prayer just to guide you. And then you pray that prayer in your own heart. And maybe you were too afraid to put up your hand. You can still pray this prayer after me if you've never done it. Just say, Father, here I am. I want a new name. 
done with the old sinful life. I'm grabbing on to you, Jesus, today. I don't understand it all, but I'm grabbing on to you today. I surrender. I lower my pride. I repent of my sins. Forgive me. Thank you for being the one who can do it. Thank you for dying for me on that cross. Thank you for rising again for me. Thank you for wanting a relationship with me. Right now, I receive you, Jesus, to be my King, to be my Lord, to be my Savior. As we keep praying, if you meant that, I want you to be so encouraged. That's the best decision of your life. And I want to remind you that the old is gone and you're a new creation. You're a new creation and no one can take that from you. Father, you're so good. You're so great. You're so kind. You're so faithful. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for knowing every secret of our life and shepherding us and caring for us. It's incredible. You're so good. We love you. We pray this in your son's name and we all say, amen. Can we just give a praise clap for those who put their faith in Jesus for the first time today? Listen, if you did that, I'm going to ask you to do one more bold thing. Tell someone. Just tell someone. You're not alone. I'll be here, Pastor Maya. You can text us, tell a friend, tell a parent, tell a spouse. Our vision, if you didn't know, our vision of this church is so simple, but so important and so big. It's helping people move towards God. Messed up, flawed, imperfect people striving to move towards Him. Don't walk alone.